Let us hear God's word. Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. As we begin here today, I want you to think of the times where you've had opportunity to talk with someone about the things of the Lord. And uh, maybe in a witnessing, even uh, evangelistic kind of sense, maybe even talking in other ways about the things of the Lord. And uh, in particular, I want you to think of those times where you've had opportunity, but then you hesitated and did not talk to them. Or even if you hesitated and you persevered and did. As we come to the first thought that Paul gives us here in verse 16, he tells us that we are not to be ashamed of the things of the Lord. We now reach the climax of Paul's introduction here, verses 1 to 17. He began in verse 1 with his own identity in Christ, and he gives us some of Christ's identity, and then even our own identity as believers in this opening section of verses 1 to 7. Paul then emphasized his prayers for the believers in Rome and his desires to come and see them. And yet Paul is submitting to God's providence. His plans to go to Jerusalem first must happen which then prompts him to write this letter. And God's not yet to Paul in terms of going to Rome led to massive blessings for millions, if not billions of people over the centuries because of this this letter. And so uh, we learn then that we too should trust in God's plans for us. Uh, Then Paul uh, talks about his obligation to all Gentiles and his eagerness to preach the gospel even to the Romans. And this too challenges us in our witness to others. <clears throat> we come now to the theme of the letter. Verses 16 and 17 are a summary of Paul's main ideas here. Uh, these verses are, are very familiar to many, if not all of us. Uh, some of you probably have memorized them. I know I did when I was in a Bible study way back when, when I was in Atlanta. Um, very familiar verses to us, but there are all kinds of questions, and they're absolutely loaded with meaning. And so today, we're going to focus on the first thought that uh, Paul gives to us. Now, if you, if you do have these uh, outlines here, I'm uh, just going to briefly call your attention to the, the first ones, and uh, especially on the first page, you see there at the bottom that uh, this commentator put verses 8 through 16a together. He puts, I'm not ashamed uh, with the previous section. And I can understand that, but as you turn over, I think the next two are, are better to put verses 16 and 17 together, uh, including I'm not ashamed as part of the theme. But then on the back side uh, here, if you look at the, this pictorial representation of, of the letter by uh, my seminary professor, Uh, Do you see how uh, verses 1 to 7 fit with the end of the letter and verses 8 to 15, the next to last section? And you might remember, I've read from the end of the letter, and last week I read from chapter 15, and that's because of these connections. Then all of a sudden, you see these rectangular parts, and you see how big verses 16 and 17 are? 
And they're the same size as chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. And all the other boxes, the rectangles and such, are smaller in size. And that's his way of communicating, look, this is the main point here in these two verses. And he elaborates on that, especially in chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. And all the other points that he makes are subpoints. Okay? Not that they're lesser in importance necessarily, but they flow from, they're outgrowths, if you will, of these main thoughts. And so uh, to see this in a visual sense, we come to, as he says, the gospel introduced. All right. <clears throat> so with this in mind, then, we come uh, to the very first word in verse 16, which is for. And there are actually four fours in these verses. We see it here at the beginning of verse 16 and then halfway through the verse, for it is the power of God. Then verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God. And in verse 18, for the wrath of God. And so he, he's putting all this together. One thought leads to the next. And he is shifting from this personal emphasis in verses 1 to 15 uh, to things about himself, a desire to see the Romans and so forth. Now to a rather long and involved explanation of the gospel. Summarized here for us, and then he spells it out in the next chapters. And so, um, you see how he, he uh, is linking these thoughts together, and I'm going to uh, spell that out as we go along. And so, this thought, I am not ashamed of the gospel, is based on what he has already said. Okay. All right, now... Um, <clears throat> He is going to give us, um, it depends on how you count things, but eight main ideas in verses 16 and 17. Each one of them has all kinds of questions. What did Paul really mean here? Um, each one of these points will be developed in the letter, and each one of them gives us reasons not to be ashamed of the gospel and of being a Christian. And so... Um, let's start here then with the first thought. Uh, for I am not ashamed. Paul is saying I am not ashamed because I am obligated, verse 14, to all Gentiles. God has given me this task. I am in debt to everyone, basically, to tell them the truth about Christ. And so verse 15, I am eager to do so to everyone, and especially you in Rome, and the reason, right, why I'm obligated and I'm ready to do this is because I am not ashamed. There is no shame. There's no embarrassment on Paul's part. He is not humiliated by this truth. He's not hesitant. He's not afraid to tell people about the gospel. Now, uh, just briefly, notice uh, some of your translations say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Some say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Um, so somewhere along the line, somebody probably added of Christ, uh, but either way, you get the same point here. All right, now, why would Paul be ashamed? Why has he mentioned this? This seems, in some ways, a bit out of place. Well, <clears throat> think of it like this. It does seem foolish that the Savior that we trust in would die. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And furthermore, we say that he is God's son. How could God die? How could God's son die? Okay. 
We, we talk of him as our king. How and why would our king come and be willingly captured? And the cross seems like an utter failure, doesn't it? Here is Jesus giving up. Okay? Or maybe he was fooled or deceived or something, people would say, and, and so forth. All of this seems rather foolish. And so because of this, isn't it disgraceful for us to trust in things that are foolish or worthless even? Now, of course, the world is going to hate Christ and is going to hate the cross and does, of course. And this then tempts us to be ashamed of Jesus, to be ashamed of the gospel. This thought, and I've mentioned a few times here now in these opening verses, uh, were there some people saying that Paul was avoiding the great imperial capital, the greatest nation on earth, and is he ashamed of it in some way? Is he afraid to come? And Paul is saying here, no, absolutely not. Even though he comes in chains, he is not ashamed of the gospel. And so he is not ashamed, no matter what the unbelieving Gentiles say, but he is also not ashamed because of what the unbelieving Jews we're saying. So think of it in this way, right? This is a message of salvation, a message of good news, but it only requires us to believe and trust in Jesus. That is a rather bizarre message because we think we need to do something. Okay? All we have to do is trust in Jesus. We don't have to keep the law. We don't have to keep the sacraments. We don't have to make a trip to Jerusalem or Rome or even Mecca or any other spiritual work that people would say. And people would say, well, that, that can't be right. That's too easy. The gospel's foolishness. You're just saying all I need to do is trust in what somebody else did for me. Shouldn't I be doing something? Well, you know, it's actually extremely hard for us to admit that we can't do anything to be saved. And because it is so hard for us to admit that, we want to boast in something that we do. And so legalists boast in something that they have done and makes them feel good about themselves. But those who rely on Jesus only for our salvation, it seems rather weak. It seems rather like we are just helpless. But that's the point, isn't it? And so here is Paul bringing the gospel that says, hey, you're an utter wretch. You can't do anything. You're a slave to sin. All you need to do is trust in Jesus and what he has done for us. That may seem foolish to the world. That may seem foolish to religious people who like to do something to earn their way to heaven. But Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of that message. Because that's what the gospel is. Paul is not ashamed to say that all of his great religious exploits are worthless. And the only thing that is worth anything is trusting in Jesus. Let's turn a moment to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, maybe clearer than any other passage, uh, he makes this point here for us. In Philippians chapter 3, Let's begin our reading in verse 3. And Paul says this, For we are the circumcision 
who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might have confidence also in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Let me pause here a moment, right? We're talking about people who think, I am such a godly person because I've done X, Y, Z, right? And Paul says, okay, if we're going to do that, I'm going to beat you on that one. I got more things on my list than you do. And so he lists them, right? Continuing here now in verse five, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law of blameless. Okay? I had every reason to get to heaven. Okay? But verse seven, what things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also have suffered the, excuse me, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul lists all these things that he had done, all these wonderful things that would impress anyone. Okay? He, because of this, right, he'd be a pastor of a mega church, right? He's done all these wonderful things, and he says, but I count them as rubbish. Your translation may say filthy rags. You might remember I've mentioned in the past that that word there is what women use during their monthly cycle. That's how graphic he is being. The most wonderful things that we would do should be thrown away. They're filthy. And so notice then what he says there in verse 9. Not having my own righteousness, right, from keeping the law, but that which is through faith, the righteousness that God gives us. By believing in Jesus. And so he'll expand on that in verse, uh, verses 16 and 17 in Romans. But you see his point. Hey, the gospel message appears to be really foolish. But Paul is saying, I am not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed at all. I'm not ashamed to say that a law-free, grace-based gospel accomplished by someone else Backwards to well, the way we would think normally, I'm not ashamed to admit that this is true. Add to that the idea of conquering through weakness. Jesus didn't just make a bad decision and go to the cross. He wasn't fooled. He, he didn't give up. No, conquering through weakness, with Jesus willingly allowing his enemies to defeat him, Satan crushing his heel, the religious leaders turning him over, the Romans crucifying. That, that, that's the whole point. And it really does seem foolish. This is not the way of the world, but it's God's way. It's foolishness to Romans. Anyone who likes power, anyone who wants to do something by themselves will see this as foolishness. And you should be ashamed of believing it. Add to that the ideas of election that Paul will get into, especially in chapter 9. 
The ideas of justification, of atonement, substitution, the covenant, federal representation, all these things that he's going to talk about in the letter. It all seems foolish to the wise and to the philosopher. To have to go to God for your knowledge, that just, you know, that's foolishness to those who try to reason their way to God. I've just given us a few examples here, but really in the end, everything about God, his word, salvation in Christ, knowledge and truth and power, all these things are crazy to the unbeliever. Don't make any sense. But Paul says, so be it. I'm not ashamed to believe these things. Okay? True believers are not ashamed of these truths. The gospel challenges are self-righteousness, self-law, autonomous thought, living my way. The gospel arouses opposition and contempt and ridicule. But true believers are not ashamed of that, as Paul says here. And when he says he is not ashamed, he's not boasting. He's not proud and self-confident. No, he has a surety. He's assured and, and humble, and he's willingly resting in Christ and God's way of salvation. All right, let's look at a, a few other passages here a moment. Let's turn first to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. This is a psalm of David who is waiting on the Lord, okay, crying out to him, right, out of the miry clay. Okay. I always think of Rosalie when I read this passage. Uh, Rosalie Boga. Um. Now notice in verse 4, he says, Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust. Verse 6, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire. Burn offering, sin offering you did not require. And David is saying the same kind of thing. Look, it's not about what I do that earns my way to heaven. What matters is not outward religion, but trusting in God. Again, back to verse 4. And so then look at verse 9. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O Lord, you yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Or to say it Paul's way, David wasn't ashamed to tell others about these things. Let's turn now to 1 Corinthians and uh, chapter 1. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 1, right, Paul's writing to Corinth, right, in Greece. And so all this uh, philosophy and, and scholars and so forth, right, and the, the history of Plato and Aristotle, Socrates, all this sort of thing. And Paul says these words. Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We'll see that in Romans 1, 16 and 17. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Right? Where is the Plato and Aristotles here? Right? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, and you can't reason your way to God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then it continues here, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. The gospel is all about saying, not me, but Jesus. And we really don't like that message because we want to think that we do something. Plus add to the foolishness of God dying and all these sort of things. Paul is saying, this is God's way. And so I'm not ashamed to proclaim this truth. Let's turn to one more. Let's turn to 2 Timothy, or sorry. Uh, Yeah, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I almost picked a hymn based on verse 12, but let's start reading in verse 8. Uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Now let me pause there. Remember Paul now is back in Rome after his first imprisonment. This is the one right before he's killed, and he's writing to Timothy, and he says, Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me, and I'm in prison. And continue, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. There's that language again. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Now, we don't know how much longer after he wrote this letter that Paul was killed, but he was beheaded by Nero, roughly 67 or 68 AD is what church tradition tells us. It wasn't many months before that he wrote these words. He is not ashamed. He knew he was going to die this time. He's not ashamed to proclaim these things. All right. <clears throat> now, let me uh, uh, talk about reasons why we should be ashamed. Now, I've already said some things, but let me put it in this way. The Gentiles thought that the Christians of the first century were atheists. They even said that about the Jews. And the reason was, 
the, uh, uh, the biblical teaching is you can't have images of God. And since they had no images in their temples, right, the, the pagans had all kinds of idols and images, right? So to, to say the Jew or the Christian, you don't have any idols and you don't believe in God. They also, of course, said it's foolish that God would die. I've mentioned that already. They said it was foolish because it's not based on human reason. So again, as we read from 1 Corinthians, they also said that Christians were cannibals because they ate the body of this man, Jesus, and they drank his blood. They even accused Christians of being incestuous because they talk about loving their brother and sister. And so there were some of these other reasons, too, why Christians could and should be ashamed. The Jews then would accuse Christians of being polytheists. Right? Rather than believing in the one true God, they believe in three gods. Right? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three gods. Right? This isn't right. They also accused Christians of being antinomian. In other words, they rejected the law of Moses. They also said that Christians are believing in a false messiah because the Messiah can't die. The Messiah was supposed to come and defeat the Romans. This Jesus of Nazareth died and he didn't defeat Caesar, so that's a false Messiah and you should be ashamed of believing such things. So whether you're talking about Athens or Rome or Jerusalem, they all hated these thoughts, hated the truth of the gospel, and so it was tempting for believers in the first century to be silent. And Paul is saying, I'm not. I am not going to keep my mouth shut. I'm not ashamed of these truths at all. Okay. Now let's bring in the opposite way of thinking. What are reasons for us then not to be ashamed of the gospel? Well, I've said many things already, and Paul has said many things already here in the opening introduction. In verse 1, he said that he is Christ's slave. And if you're a slave, it really doesn't matter what anybody says except what your master says. And since Jesus is our master, I mean, who cares what anybody says about us? There's no reason to be ashamed. And so he loves and submits to Christ. Also in verse 1, he says he's an apostle. And we saw those ideas in various ways, especially in verses 14 and 15. And so Paul's been sent with this life-saving message. So he doesn't really care what anybody thinks. He's been given this task by Christ. In verse 2, he says how these truths are based on the Old Testament. Right? He says that the prophets of old said these things. And then in verse 3, Jesus came and fulfilled those things. Especially he emphasizes being the son of David. And so Jesus is God's son. He is David's son. He died, and then he rose again. And so because of this, we have no reason to be ashamed. In verse 7, we are now called the people of God. We, God has changed our hearts. We are his beloved. He sets us apart to be his. Because of that, there's no reason for us to be ashamed. In verse 8, Paul says that we can come before God 
Through Jesus Christ, that veil has been torn. We don't have to stand outside. We can come into the very presence of God in prayer. Why should we be ashamed of what anybody else says? In verse 12, he says basically that we're a family of believers. Right? This mutual faith he talks about. In verses 10 and 13, he talks about God being in control of everything. So depending on how you count all this, there's about 10 ideas here in verses 1 to 15 that Paul gives for reasons not to be ashamed. And then as we come to verses 16 and 17, he gives us, again, depending on how you count it, about eight more. There's no reason to be ashamed of the gospel because it's good news. And it is the power of God. We don't need to be ashamed because this is the only way of salvation. It's for everyone, Jew and Gentile. God has revealed it to us. It is accomplished through the righteousness of God, which saves us. It is from faith, and it's according to the scriptures. Here it's Habakkuk 2. So <clears throat> there are all kinds of reasons for us not to be ashamed of these truths. But the question then remains. Paul is not ashamed, but what about you? What about me? How do we respond to these things? Are we hesitant to tell others about Jesus? Do we feel shame when people ridicule the truth? And so, though Paul is not commanding us here not to be ashamed, that's clearly the implication, right? If Paul is not ashamed then we shouldn't be ashamed. And even as he commanded Timothy not to be ashamed, so too for us. So let's start with what I started uh, with with Paul here just a few moments ago, and that is, if Paul is boasting in this gospel that says all we need to do is trust in Jesus, are, are we doing that? Think of it like this. Are you proud of the things that you do As a Christian, do you think this is somehow meritorious? Do you think this is somehow making you better in God's sight? So in your own mind, do you boast that you go to church every time we have something here? Or or you tithe a full 10%? uh, Or you help out on our work days? Or you help others with this sort of thing or that sort of thing? And all these sort of things, are you trusting in them? Are you looking to them? as your hope for heaven. Well, if so, hey, that's just rubbish. Those are filthy rags. That's what leads to shame. But when we abandon all efforts to earn our way to heaven, when we cease seeking to establish our own righteousness, when we let go of ourselves and cling to Christ, it may appear weak, It may appear useless. It may even appear shameful. And and we think like, well, I must not be doing enough. But when we actually trust in Christ, this is when shame goes away. It is what leads to true confidence and peace and hope and eternal life where there will be no shame at all. When we cease trying to put fig leaves on, 
And we look to God who clothes us, not in the skin of an animal, but in the righteousness of Christ. That is when our shame goes away. And so Paul is teaching this, and that's why he has no shame. So what about us, is the question. Are we truly trusting in Christ? Because if you are, then you have no reason to be ashamed of anything. And yet, we often are ashamed of the truth, aren't we? We often are ashamed when we go to work and people are making fun of Christians. Or we go to school or around certain people. Let me give you a few examples. Say, say you're around an evolutionist. Are you afraid to say that God created all things? Say you're around a theistic evolutionist. Are you afraid to say that, well, Genesis 1 says according to their kinds, so macroevolution is not true. Or when you're around political people, are you afraid to say that God's views of government are very different? Just this week, maybe you heard this, Nikki Haley, who's... Uh, uh, running for president, she was basically chastising Republicans for being too hard-nosed about abortion. Did you hear this? She's not the only one. And there have been many who have said the reason why the Republicans lost 2022 is because of the issue of abortion, okay? or at least it wasn't a red wave. Um, and, and she was saying, look, we can't be so concerned about this heartbeat laws and and we must be open to the issues of of abortion for rape and incest and so forth and well in that context are you afraid to say um <clears throat> god said you shall not murder period when you're around those who talk about mother nature or those who like their lucky socks we're afraid of black cats. Okay. Are you, when you're around those who are just pro-war everything, or say it's okay to live together even if you're not married, or those who say, well, I don't need to be a Christian, I just need to be a moral person, the question for us is, are we ashamed in those contexts to speak the truth? Are you ashamed or afraid to say that God's ways are different? When somebody's talking about Mother Nature, are, are you hesitant to say, well, God actually sent that flood and that tornado? We don't want to talk about those things in our culture. Don't want to think that way at all. No, we're just going to, you know, pull ourselves back together and so forth. We don't want to think about God in regard to the weather. Or the people who want to put on their rally caps at the end of the game, are you going to tell them, hey, there's no such thing as luck. What you're doing is doing absolutely nothing. Are you hesitant to respond in this? Okay. Are you hesitant to speak who are just all gung-ho, give all this money to Ukraine and send all these things and so on and so forth? Are you hesitant to talk about how there are very few just wars in the history of the world? Are you afraid to talk to those people who insist on living together without being married? Okay. Do you see the point? Okay. <clears throat> we might say, well, good for Paul. 
I'm glad he's not ashamed. But we need to follow in his footsteps. Okay. Now, we too are accused of all kinds of things. It wasn't just Paul that had a hard time, as it were. We as Christians now are being accused of being racist, of course, and homophobes, or old-fashioned prudes. We are haters. We are oppressors. Uh, you know, you just keep your religion to yourself. Uh, we are told that the founding fathers in our founding documents separated church and state, and so you can't talk about it in public. Which, of course, they're completely wrong on that, but anyway... Um, uh, even among professing Christians, we are constantly being pressured to keep the truth to ourselves. Okay? Some people say, well, we should avoid all political activity, and others say it's all about politics, but then again, they're not talking about the truth. Uh, we are told by Christians that we as Christians should be leading the way in environmental justice or social justice and reparations. And that we should be loving the gay community, whether side A or side B or whatever, right? Uh, we are told that we must submit to the government no matter what and, uh, you know, get the shot and wear masks and so on and so forth, right? Or you hear other Christians say, you know, you guys who sing hymns, you're just old-fashioned. You need to get, get it together and sing praise songs. Or, you know, why are you bother preaching? I mean, it is foolish. Paul said it was foolish, so why are you preaching? We just had an exciting oratory. Or we are told that the means of grace are not enough. All you need are programs and church growth methods. Or mission over doctrine, because doctrine divides, right? So as Paul had pressure from unbelievers out in the Gentile world and had pressure from those in the Jewish world, so we have a very similar kind of thing. We are pressured by the unbelievers outside the church and even those in the church. And so, again, the question for us is, are we ashamed to speak the truth? Okay. We have pressures everywhere, but are we going to say what God says in his word? Now, let's do it winsomely, right? as Dale's been talking about with apologetics. Let's learn to defend the truth, use reason and evidence and presuppositions. You know, all this is important. Okay. Let me read for us this verse. This is the words of Christ. In Mark, uh, excuse me, Mark 8, verse 38, he says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. <clears throat> this isn't just a good idea. This isn't just something for me to do or your elders to do. All of us as Christians must not be ashamed. Must not be ashamed by looking to Christ alone <laughs> to cover our shame, but then to speak the truth. To those around us. And so may the thoughts that we've already seen in verses 1 to 15 encourage us in this way. And as Paul will then develop in verses 16 and 17, may this give us strength to not be ashamed, not to be reluctant to stand for the truth. And so obviously, I'm just 
getting us started here on this verse. And I thought it would be important for us to dwell on this thought here a little bit this morning. And so um, after next week, uh, we'll return and we'll pick up with his thoughts uh, here in verse 16. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you for your word. And uh, we thank you, first of all, for Christ, for the gospel, for the good news that um, he has come to, to live a life of perfection, to take the punishment that we deserve. We thank you for this, Lord. We truly are amazed by it. And uh, we are thankful that through his work, our, our shame, our sin is covered. And we are then restored unto you. We thank you for this. Lord, uh, please be merciful to each one here that we would not rely on our own righteousness, but on Christ in our place. But we also then ask, Lord, that you would help us as your people to, to stand confidently, boldly, without shame, without hesitation, to speak the truth, especially in a culture, even a church culture, today that is so hostile to even some of the most basic things. We pray, Lord, that you would give us this ability, that we would be winsome and defend the faith in ways that, that are, are, are gentle and humble and yet without compromise. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us strength, and uh, that you would give us a, a fortitude by your Spirit. Um, forgive us for those times where we have been hesitant when we should have spoken. And give us um, uh, this ability for your glory and for your honor. And we pray all these things then in Jesus' name. Amen.